We are Crossroads Grace Church. Our purpose is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow Him fully. This week's message is taught by our teaching pastor, Brian Hunt. From wherever you're listening, we hope that you are challenged and encouraged by this week's message. Welcome wherever you might be joining us, especially our online campus. Thanks for tuning in to a service and know that those chat hosts are available for you right now. They want to help you in any way that they can. And you should know that our mission here is to lead people to discover Jesus, follow him fully. And so any way that we can help you do that along your journey with God, that's why we're here. So let us know and we'd love to help you. But we're in the middle of a series that is called A Reflective Christmas because we're at that time of year where we just naturally look back. And boy, what a year to look back on, isn't it? Oh my goodness. And while it's easy to say, I just would like to kind of push this dumpster fire of a year off of the cliff, you know, it's our reality, guys, it's, it's our reality. But, but all of us can look back on a lot of things, a lot of things from this year, and, we, and we'd rather not have gone through them if we just are really honest with ourselves. I mean, there were some hard things, there were some embarrassing things, there were some hurtful things. And so as we think back on them, we would just love to use one of these bad boys on it, right? Y'all ever, like, use one? You know what these things are, okay? If you have a child, you need one of these as much as you need food to eat. Guys, this is a magic eraser. Any magic eraser people, understand. Give me some likes out there. Oh, my goodness, yes. Right, a magic eraser, it takes off scuffs and stains and blood and bad tattoos that you got on spring break it just you just takes it all off you know I mean you use it and when you're done it looks like it was never there you know you would love that now now I've no idea how this thing works and frankly I don't care okay all I care is that it works every time but what we really want but what we really really want as I think we want um we want this for our life don't we like, we want one of these bad boys. We want to find one of these, and we want to use it on our life. We want to use it on things that we don't like in our life, or that things have gone bad in our life, so that we can try again and make it better. We want a massive magic eraser for life. Now, I have checked on Amazon. I have looked on eBay. I've looked on Etsy. I've even looked on OfferUp. And there is no such thing as a magic eraser for your life. This is a one of a kind made by my assistant and she's awesome. Because this is what this is the world that we live in. That there is no erasing it and frankly I'm telling you it may never look the same again. It may never look the same again. You might even say that this is the year that the world was literally turned upside down. And and maybe you've experienced this upside down feeling at Christmas too. You know, maybe family trips and traditions uh, could be lost this year. Uh, maybe because of some tight finances, it's going to shrink the number of presents you have under the tree. That Christmas eggnog might have a tinge more bitterness in it because if you add up all the crummy stuff that's happened this year. And so as we reflect on Christmas, the, the, the world may seem very much the opposite of what we thought it was going to be like a year, from, a year ago. But what we've decided to do this Christmas is not miss a moment to reflect. We don't want to bury our heads in the sand, pretend like nothing ever happened. And instead, what we want to do is we want to see, now what can we learn from this whole thing? We, we want to understand how we can grow closer to God as we reflect on what we've been through. And the way that we're doing that 
is by using the, the Christmas story. A story that many of us think that we know all about. Whether you believe in God or not, you think that you know the story. But yet it's a story that as you unpack it, it becomes fascinating to reflect on. Especially as you consider the people that the things were happening to at that time. So, for instance, last week we actually looked at Jesus' family tree. A family tree that had a, you know, murderers and deception and, uh, and even prostitution in it. Yet the perfect son of God came out of that lineage to save the world. And, and we said that, that Jesus came, Jesus is always coming for the broken because he came from the broken. So if you missed that message last week, I highly encourage you to go back and take a listen to that. You can always do that by going to crossroadsgrace.org or you can also download our free app. You can find all kinds of great resources there. In fact, chat host, why don't you put that link in the chat right now so people can take a look at that later. But as we continue to reflect on the Christmas story, we have to consider how similar the times were then to what we're actually facing now. Granted, there wasn't a you know, worldwide pandemic with a virus going on back then, but, but there were some similarities. So for starters, the world at the time of the Christmas story had, uh, had, this, had, had fallen into a religious and political and cultural malaise. Uh, for example, the religious leaders, uh, they had convinced people during that time that they had the corner on the market when it came to knowing who God is. You follow God's rules and their rules, and if you did that, you're okay. But if you didn't follow to the letter of the law, of the religious law, then God's going to be mad. I mean really, really, really mad. So in, in order to make God happy, you had to become Jewish. And, and you had to care more about the laws than the people. However, what created even more stress during that time was that there were actually different branches of this Jewish faith, different sects, if you will. There were three different branches of the Jewish faith at the time. There was the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the Essenes. Now, let me explain this to you. The Sadducees were part of a, the rich and priestly elite of the priests. And they were the ones that followed the strictest following of the law of Moses or the Torah. And they didn't deviate, deviate it from it from at all. They, they really didn't believe in an afterlife either. And they thought, man, when you die, your souls die with it. Which is why they are sad, you see. <laughs> sorry, I had to. I had to. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, right? Uh, but then there's the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, they were more the middle class type of priest. And they took it upon themselves to try to bridge the gap between the, the, the law and what the modern times were. But what happened is, as they did that, they'd start to contradict themselves and the law at the very same time, making it, making it confusing. In the afterlife, well, sure, they believed in an afterlife, but it was called retribution and resurrection. That's what they called it. In, in other words, you could resurrect, but only if you followed the laws and you committed yourself to living a virtuous life. Now, the Essenes, on the other hand, they were completely different. They were off the grid. They were nomads and they lived in the wilderness and everything. And they didn't agree with the Sadducees. They didn't agree with the Pharisees. They had their own really way that they would connect with God. And they thought they had the way to do it. So this was kind of the, the, the religious mess that the Christmas, the Christmas story was brought into. Now on the other side was the political side. And the political side was with Rome. And, and they had all the power. Rome had all the political power. Luke chapter 2 gives us a hint of what the political life might have looked like back then. In Luke chapter 2 verse 1... You might have heard this. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus. So here's a, here's a quick history lesson that you might be interested in. And if you're not, just hang tight. It's going to go fast. just like a band-aid. You'll be all right. But here's the deal. 
after Rome conquered Jerusalem, it began to exert its power. And in a lot of ways, it was very positive for the people because it created infrastructure, it created wealth for people. It was a good thing. But Rome also had a very specific leadership structure to it. And Caesar was the king of Rome, if you will. And as we just read here a moment ago, the current Caesar was a guy by the name of Caesar Augustus. Interestingly enough, the, the, the name Augustus means reverend. But rest assured, there was nothing reverent about Augustus. There was nothing pastoral about him. He just wanted power, just like his adopted father, Julius Caesar. And Augustus solidified his power by broadening his empire all the way to Egypt. When he defeated uh, Antony and Cleopatra, Egypt came under Roman rule. So it was massive. And he was so successful that at the end of his life, the Roman Senate actually declared him a god. But because of the vastness of this kingdom that he had kind of created, Caesar would then appoint different local governors in different cities to be able to rule it all. And they were given the authority of Rome, but they also had the power to keep the peace and administrate the law how they saw fit. And one of those leaders, one of those governors, was this military commander by the name of Herod the Great. And if you're familiar with the Bible story, you're familiar with the Christmas story, that was who was in power when Jesus was born. And he ruled with an iron fist. He was brutal. And he was paranoid about anyone trying to take his power from him. He was so brutal and so paranoid that he actually had members of his own family executed because of unfounded treason. And this is why when Jesus was still a young boy, Herod heard about this new king of kings and he lost his mind. And his jealousy flared back up again and it was killing time for him. So after Jesus was visited by these wise men or the magi, you might have heard of them, and they chose to go a different route home after they were warned in a dream to do so, Herod lost his mind. And that's why in Matthew chapter 2 we read that when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the magi. So Herod wanted undeniable power, and he would ensure that by any means necessary. So, you're probably asking, what does that matter? Well, it matters because as we reflect on this, we need to put this whole thing in perspective. And when you do that, you see some fascinating things happening. See, again, we have two groups of people, the Jews and the Romans. And they both wanted power, but in different ways. So the first group of people that we had were the Romans, and they wanted all the earthly power that they could find all across the world, any way they could. They wanted this, this kind of horizontal power, anything they could find in, in the world. Now, on the other hand was the Jews, and they wanted religious power, or they wanted God power, and they would do anything they could in order to have that. And so they, they wanted all the God power, everything that they could find. And my friends, this is what's interesting, is because Jesus came right in the middle of it all. This is where Jesus came. He came in the tension between the two. Smack dab in the middle. Right in the middle of the tension between church and state. Between power and piety. Between justice and injustice. This is where Jesus came. So this is the religious and the political climate that our Savior, Savior of the world, came, came into. With a still cry in the middle of a calm night. 
And up until this point, the world was, as to borrow a line from that old hymn, O Holy Night, was in sin and error pining. It was a world that was lost in its own mess and only getting worse by the second. You see, it would seem that that Jesus came at just the right time. I believe Paul would actually agree with us. In Galatians chapter 4, we read that when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So so God decided that the the time had fully come. It was go time. And at the intersection of all that was going on, God said, it's time. The Son of God sent from heaven to earth to save us from our sin. Now you would think that this would be a big moment. You know what I'm talking about? Like like it's, it's kind of a big deal. I mean, if royalty comes to visit any other place in the entire world, it is a massive deal. They bring their own planes and cars and helicopters. They have their own personal chefs. They bring their own security detail. I asked a, a Secret Service friend of mine in Washington, I said, hey, what's it like when a Middle Eastern delegate's kind of come into the United States? And he actually said that when some Arab com- countries come into, our, into the States, they will find the fanciest hotel that they possibly can and they will renovate an entire floor of the hotel just to their needs while they were there. We're talking millions of dollars just in one place. But that's what royalty does. That's what royalty demands, you would think. Well, Jesus uh, didn't quite come the way the world thought he should. There wasn't a limo. He didn't have an entourage. He didn't even have a place to lay his head for crying out loud. Luke chapter 2 says this. It says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her their their firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. That doesn't exactly scream royalty to me when you hear about how Jesus came. But what we see in the story of Christmas is that Jesus came and he turned the world upside down. He Frank Sinatra this thing. He did it his way. That's what he did. He came in the way that he came in the way that the Romans and the Jews never saw coming. Never saw. So for the next couple of minutes, here's what I want us to look at. I want us to look at the three unexpected ways that Jesus came. Three unexpected ways that Jesus came. And the first one is this: that Jesus came in meekness, not in power. Again, let's keep in mind what we're talking about, the Roman world and the religious world that Jesus came into. Rome wanted horizontal power. The Jews wanted the vertical power. He came at the intersection of both of those, which is why it makes sense that that the Jews would be looking for a powerful Messiah to rule and to establish power and authority the right way, like this new power structure. And that is why even today the Jews still reject Jesus. They're still waiting for a proper king. Now, I read an article by Rabbi Jacob Staub. He is a professor of Jewish philosophy and uh, spirituality. And in it, what he does is he quotes a well-known medieval teacher. 
And, and his name is Rambam. That's how the Jewish people know him, Rambam. And in this, in this, in this uh, article I wrote, he, he or read, he, he describes what Rambam says in the version of the Messiah that the Jews are waiting for. Let me explain it to you. It says, Rambam says, he envisions a world governed by a king Messiah who is wise, righteous, just, and politically adept. There will be no servitude to foreign powers and there will be peace. All people will be free to devote themselves to the study of the Torah and the practice of good deeds. And there will be plenty of material goods for everyone. All of this will happen because of the righteousness and wisdom of the messianic rule. So so you can see it, can't you? You can see that this drips with power and kingship, can't you? And, and while that would be amazing, and when Christ returns and make thing, makes all things new again, maybe that very well will happen. But, but the Bible paints a very different picture of the Messiah that actually came. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. So the scripture just says that the Messiah is going to come to a young girl, to a virgin, and come as a baby. So Jesus came meek and mild. He came meek and weak. I mean, does anyone look at a baby and shudder in fear that they're going to beat you up? Have you ever, ever done that? No. I mean, I don't, I don't like cower in fear when I see Robbie and Jillian's beautiful baby Rory. I don't, I don't like run for the hills when I see my friend Eric and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and uh, Kim's baby Amelia. Like I don't like worry about it. You know, I'm not, they're going to take me out. Of course not. People will, 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 will melt around babies. They hold them delicately. So there's nothing intimidating about a baby. Except the Jews weren't looking for a baby to be held. They wanted a king to hold power. Which is why they missed him. And sadly is why we're missing him now. We're looking for what we don't need. But Jesus may be meek and he might be mild, but he came with a very powerful name. He he came with this name called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us us. Jesus didn't come to rule over us. He came to live with us. To show us love. And this new kingdom of grace and mercy and forgiveness that's found only in him. But not only did Jesus come with a different position, but he also came with a different style. See, the second is Jesus came to serve and not to be served. And, and, and you see, if you're expecting a king, you're not thinking that they're going to serve anyone. No, no, no. A king gets served. Let, let me ask you this. Let me explain it this way. Has, has anyone ever been to an all-inclusive resort on vacation? Anybody done one of those online? Just give me some thumbs up, right, if you've ever done it. On, okay, it's okay. You can, like, so my wife and I... We saved up and we went on an anniversary trip a few years ago to one of these. And let me tell you, it is the bomb. It is the best thing ever. They bring food to you wherever you're at. Okay, wherever you're at. Every time you come back into your room after they've cleaned it, they have made another animal out of your, after your, bath, out of your bath towels. Like there's an elephant on your bed. It's amazing. 
They will turn down your sheets before you go to bed, and on your pillow will be a literal mint, just waiting there for you. It's the coolest thing ever. Now, I can tell you this with 100% honesty that I never once at any point in my time at this all-inclusive resort did I ever finish my dinner and say, hey, you know, I'll take my dishes back and wash them myself. No, one. I had no burning desire to wash the towels after I used them. Not at all. I never told the server as I laid on the beach, you know what, buddy? Hey, you know, don't worry about it. I'm going to go run and get my own strawberry lemonade myself. No, no, no. No way. Why? Because for those four days, I was the king. And the king got served. You know what I'm talking about? Like, that's what was going to happen. That is what the world was used to seeing a king act like. It's what Caesar did, it's what Herod did, and that's what the Jews wanted their king to do. But that's not what King Jesus did. In fact, listen to what Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. He, uh, he says this, he says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Before Jesus was crucified at his last meal with his disciples, he chose to, to wash their feet. He took on the posture of a servant and he knelt down and he washed their feet. Not so that they'll feel sorry for him, but for a much bigger reason. Listen to what Jesus says to them after he's done washing their feet in, in, in the book of John. It says, Jesus says, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus says, he says, the king of kings doesn't show them the way of royalty. He shows them the way of humility. Not royalty, humility. That the way to connect with people for the glory of God is not in ivory towers, but on your hands and knees in service. Jesus was not interested in an all-inclusive resort life, but living a life that showed that all are included in his love and in his grace. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. But one last thing to consider is this, is that Jesus came for the sinners, not the saints. So to the religious and the Roman, the common person, the sinner, was not a focus of their attention. To, to the Romans, they would endure the poor, the needy, the marginalized, they, but they would never seek them out, so they would endure them. The Jews, on the other hand, they would exclude them the sick, the hurting, the sinners, because they saw them as unclean and they wanted them apart from them. But Jesus, he didn't endure and he didn't exclude. What Jesus did is he embraced them. And he said, they're the reason that he came. Quoting the prophet Isaiah, Jesus once said this in Luke 4. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recover of sight of the blind to set the oppressed free. That's why Jesus came. He says in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, he says, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous. I've called, come to call the sinners. Jesus chose to reach the unreachable, touch the untouchable, love the unlovable, save the unsavable. His ministry flew in the face of what the world says that he should do, but he knew it was exactly what the world needed him to do. And so as we reflect on Christmas, 
We, we see that Jesus flipped the world up on its head. And for the next 33 years, he amazed everyone he spoke to and interacted with. And he did so in such a way that people were drawn to him. The Gospel of Mark would put it this way, that the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as someone who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Jesus came into the world hardened by sin and flipped it up on its back like a turtle. They never heard someone preach like this before and they liked it because it brought them freedom to their lives and it brought them closer to God. And it came in a way they never expected. And the world has never been the same since. So as we reflect on 2020, what if we started to see this as the moment God flipped the world on its head again? What if this is the year where people came back to what was important and reordered their priorities? What if 2020 was the year when more people returned to God than ever before? What if we were able to see the purity and the, the, the meaning of Christmas without the bags, bows, and bells that get in the way so often? Had God not sent Jesus, our world would be perfectly on the trajectory that it deserved to receive the brightful punishment that it deserved for our sin. But thankfully, we have a God that doesn't do that. Because he gave us Jesus instead. And, and I want you to think about this as we reflect on Christmas. This one idea. That Jesus didn't give the world what it wanted, but exactly what it needed. So as we reflect on Jesus this Christmas, perhaps we can start to see that Jesus is all that we need in a world that has nothing we want. Now, I know that all of us, um, we still look back on this year with disgust and regret. But, but I also know that this isn't the only year that we've wished that we had done things differently. We, we all have things in our life that we're embarrassed about, can't believe that we've done, that weren't good. And while the culture will say, well, that was a mess up, that was a screw up, the Bible has a different name for it. It's called sin. And, and sin is what separates us from God. It keeps us from living the life that he wants for us, both in this life and in the next. And, and on our own, there is no way for us to make things right. There is not enough money or success or good works or volunteering or present buying to make up for all of our sin. We need a savior, a savior to save us from all those things. And although I told you earlier that, that you couldn't find one of these online to, to do that in your world, um, there is actually one that can do that. And it's Jesus. Jesus and Jesus alone can erase our sin from our lives forever. Because at the intersection of trying to earn our way back to God and the desire to have all this stuff that the world offers, Jesus comes and he says, don't fall for it. All you need is me. And he 
proves it by stretching his love out for us on a cross. And he says, I may not have come how you wanted, but I, I'm exactly what you need. And so my friends, at this time, when we reflect on Jesus at communion, as we reflect on Jesus at Christmas, my hope for you is that you won't be looking for something that God's not wanting to give you, but that you'll be looking for exactly what he does give you, and that is Jesus, that's forgiveness. And at the intersection of the cross is where Jesus' heart was at. His heart beats for you and for me to forgive us and to love us. So my prayer for you is that you consider Jesus now, reflect on him well at this time of communion and realize that Jesus didn't give us what the world wanted, but he gave us exactly what we needed. And what we needed is forgiveness, which is found in him and only him. Let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we come before you at this time as we prepare our hearts to remember your son Jesus through communion. We pray that you would infuse in our spirit a love for you, Jesus a reverence for you, Jesus, of what you've done for us. That if we look back on our life beyond just 2020, but for our whole life, we can see a lot of things that we're not proud of, that we wish we could erase. But Jesus, you tell us the only way that that's possible is through you. Through you dying on the cross for our sins, resurrecting from the dead, ascending to heaven to prepare a place for us. Because you did all of that, because you've given us grace. And if we believe in you, Jesus, you say that you actually make the scarlet become white. That you turn us into something beautiful again. You erase our sins. And so, Father, I pray that we could do that and trust Jesus now as we remember him through communion and give our lives over to him this Christmas. No matter where we might be today, that in this moment we would humble ourselves and cling to you. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. If you've discovered Jesus and this ministry has helped you follow him fully, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our Crossroads app or at crossroadsgrace.org slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Now go and follow him fully.